Hello everyone and welcome to episode 38 of season 1, Reading with Grace, where we will be finishing The Unwanted's Island of Fire. Today we will be picking up from chapter 68, but first a quick recap of chapters 64 through 67. Claire Morning is trying to increase the medical area and ability in Artime, and has decided she will have nothing to do with Liam, ever, because he held her hostage. Megan explains to Skye how even the Land of Quill is creative in their own way, but they choose not to believe it. Skye doesn't understand why she hasn't seen Alex in such a long time, because she doesn't know that he's still recovering from Warbler. She decides to take matters into her own hands to save her mother. When Alex is feeling better one day, he notices Skye going to the ocean with a handmade raft. He rushes out to her to stop her before she leaves him forever. Alex just manages to catch Skye and pours his heart out to her about how he really feels. Alex promises to save Skye's mother as soon as possible, and Alex swims Skye back to Artemis. That's the end of the summary. Enjoy the episode! Sixty-eight. Back to normal. Alex's ribs slowly knit back together over the next months, and Artemis resumed its normal routine. Alex began wearing one of Mr. Today's robes all the time, knowing that if the world disappeared and he didn't have one, they'd be in another mess. After tripping a few times on the long hem, Skye took the robes and tailored them to fit him. All the various classes, beginning in advanced magical warrior training, and picnics on the lawn began again, and so did Alex's plan for Pirate Island. With Artemis situated on the sea, most unwanteds learned how to swim whenever they felt like going into the water. There was always somebody older willing to teach a new unwanted how to hold his breath underwater and how to move through safely using arm strokes and leg kicks. But now Alex asked Miss Octavia, in addition to her art classes, to begin teaching an extensive swimming course for those who wanted to volunteer to help rescue Sky and Crow's mother. Dozens of people signed up. After the initial lessons, with some naturally dropped out upon realizing they were not suited for this quest, and only the strongest swimmers, plus Sky and Crow, remained. Miss Octavia began to share the secrets of sea breathing with the determined ones who remained. She began to teach them little tricks that would help them allow to eventually hold their breath for an extraordinarily long time by utilizing the oxygen that was stored in their blood, not just in their lungs. It was the most strenuous, exhausting exercise Alex and the others had ever tried, and the progress was slow, but it was necessary if they were going to succeed. In the evenings, when Alex wasn't spending time in the lounge with Lonnie, Sam, Megan, and Skye, strategizing about Pirate Island, or training his lungs and muscles for the rescue, he went to the Museum of Large to clean up the mess of the whale bones in there. Claire, Gunnar, and Octavia all offered to help, but he declined. It was something very soothing for Alex, an enjoyable, creative task he could do alone. It gave him the opportunity to decompress from his day and to think of new ideas for Artime. Now he understood exactly why Mr. Today had spent so much time fixing up the pirate ship. It was a relief to realize that not every day as Mage of Artime would require him to work at a breakneck pace. Alex placed each whalebone carefully into its socket, sometimes looking for hours to find the exact piece he needed next. It was a glorious puzzle with hundreds of pieces, and it took him months to finish it. And when he finally did, he was sad to leave the whale, so he began to sculpt muscles and tendons and tissues over the bones out of materials he found in the sea during their sea-breathing lessons. It was his own secret project, and it was amazing to watch the whale take shape as he layered it. One day, maybe he'd try to give it a mosaic exterior, like Jim's. 
Claire Morning, Henry Haluki, and Karina Holiday became the lead researchers and chemists experimenting with all kinds of serums made from plants they found in the jungle. Henry practiced his magical stitches on various fruits and vegetables that he found in the giant kitchen pantry, and Karina began work hard on a concoction that would ease pain and not cause a person to vomit instantly. Seam became a willing volunteer for Karina, who administered the medicine whenever she thought she'd improved on it. They had very results, including one rather explosive multicolored vomit rainbow that the team oohed and awed over, and even Seam was impressed with that one once it stopped. He decided to keep a vial of that version in case he ever needed it for a practical joke. The interest in spellmaking began to bloom after Artemis saw the success of the spells Alex, Meg, and Sam Hedonlania had created. After a while, Florence had to limit the number of presentations to one per week per student. And then, after numerous crazy spells were presented that seemed unlikely to assist Artemis in battle, Florence had to establish a committee of students who would decide if a spell was useful, like the jabbing violin bow spell, or unnecessarily dangerous, like the guillotine spell, or merely frivolous and fun, like the pink hair spell. There were definitely a few students who were gifted in this area of spell creation, while most of the others found it to be a passing craze, and soon went on to find something different that they could be fabulous at. Quill's national holiday, the day of the purge, came again. A new crop of unwanted 13-year-olds arrived at Artemis' gates. Alex, the Gerinos, and all the unwanteds welcomed them, and for the first time, but certainly not the last, Alex declared that Artemis would hold a masquerade ball the following week to celebrate. All the season unwanted spent the day at the masquerade in preparation, some opting to create magical masks that would change color and shape depending on the mood of the owner, and others choosing to fashion more elaborate, less flashy masks to be worn in a traditional manner. Mr. Appleblossom, of course, was the coordinator and producer of the event, and he, having the most delightful time planning the gala, would be complete the musical numbers by his students and, of course, the lounge band. The mood and timbre of Artemis was high and rich as it had ever been, and the Amwantes looked forward to a most amazing evening indeed. Sixty-nine, masquerade. Alex opted for a simple pirate eye patch as his mask, which wouldn't clash with his brightly colored robe. As he sat at his dressing table combing his hair and trimming the ends of it with the magical finger scissors, he created it on the spot for such occasion. He wanted his hair to look nice and fresh, as it had grown so long waves by now. He shaved the dark fuzz above his upper lip because he thought it made his skin look like it was smudged with dirt, and then he checked his chin and found a few stiffer black hairs there to shave as well, which seemed like quite an accomplishment. I wonder if I should keep these whiskers and give them to Simber, in case he ever learns how to use a seek spell, he mused, straightening his tie and jacket underneath the robe. It seems I grew them my very own self. Very creative of you, Stowe. He grinned to himself in the mirror and patted his pocket, where Simber's stone dew claw remained. He was in a chipper mood tonight. He had the benefit of spying on his side. He could look out the giant window at the end of the hall to watch the decorations go up, and when the time came to meet Sky on the balcony, he had the good fortune to be able to see her standing there without him seeing him changed until he emerged. She stood in front of the secret hallway, one hand resting on the banister. She wore a burnt orange gown covered in multicolored sequins. Attached to a stick in the other hand was her mask, a butterfly shape with plumes of orange and purple feathers. She looked in the direction of the staircase, not smiling or frowning, just gazing at the flurry of students as she waited for Alex. Her hair looked glossy and smoother than usual, somehow enchanting, both the dark layer under her hair and the bright natural highlights that had grown ever more distinct after so much swimming and training. 
It jetted down the rest below her collarbone. Alex liked that Skye didn't try to cover up her scars around her neck, and he admired her profile for a moment in secret. He watched her face light up as Sam, Heat, and Lonnie joined her at the railing. "'You look stunning,' Lonnie said. "'What a great idea to match your eyes to your dress. I wish I thought of that.' Sam, Heed rested his hand on Lonnie's shoulder and glanced down the secret hallway, startling only slightly when he saw Alex standing there. Sam grinned, and Alex grinned back. "'Busted,' he mouthed. Sam, he nodded and turned his attention back to the girls, as Alex came bustling out of the hallway, pretending to straighten his rope as if he hadn't been there all the time. "'Fabulous! Gorgeous! Divine!' Alex said, mimicking a voice that Mr. Appleblossom often used when playing the part of a wealthy nobleman. His eyes lingered on Skye. "'You look amazing,' he said. She grinned. "'You look like some weird, psychedelic pirate.' "'A cute one,' she added. "'Then my costume is a success,' Alex said grandly. They fell into step together and picking up Megan as she exited the girls' hallway. Alex linked his other arm with hers, and the five descended the steps in an elegant fashion. By the door, Florence wore a cheetah mask, and Simber wore a simple black warrior-looking mask. "'Who do you suppose they are?' Megan asked. "'Wow, I just can't tell,' said Lonnie. Florence opened the door for them, and they swept out into the lawn, which was glowing with light and color. Miss Morning played in the band with the fox and the kitten, who played a tiny triangle, and there was an enormous spread of food and drinks. The five mingled together and apart, laughing and chatting with people they hadn't had a chance to chat with in a while. And everyone made a point to be kind to the newest batch of unwanteds, who wore looks of ranging from shock to pure fright on their faces. Alex said a few words to welcome the everyone, but kept it short, which is what Megan told him to do. After that, the party continued late into the evening with dancing, everyone changing partners, and having a blast. And so it happened that when an enormous boom echoed in the sky... Only those of the art skirts of the party and the very best music students could distinguish the fracturing noise from the kettle drum and the song the band was playing. But when flashes of fire lit up the air, it was hard to miss. The music stopped immediately as a gasp rose up from the crowd. "'What was that?' Megan asked. She grabbed Alex and Skye and they ran to the shore, straining their eyes to see in the darkness. There, amid a cloud of smoke, they saw a large piece of something falling from the sky. It whistled as it fell and hit the water with a smack that rang out. Soon while there was the raining sound of the splash coming down before all was quiet again. Half the unwanted ran into the mansion in fear, and the other half lined the shore as Alex ran to Simber to see if he could see or smell anything. Whatever it is, it's floating on the water, Simber said, eyes narrowed. It's big, and I smell something. "'What do you smell?' Alex asked, craning his neck uselessly, for it was too dark to see anything. "'It's...' The cheetah sampled the air once more as if he wanted to be sure. "'It's death.' He rose up on his haunches. Alex glanced at the sky. "'I need to take a look,' he said, an apology in his eyes. Simber glanced at them. "'May as well have two of you.' Alex looked at Sky and then at himself. "'We might have to go in,' he said. Sim, we're going to do a quick change of clothes and grab some lights, and we'll be back in a flash. Less than a minute, right, Sky? Sky nodded, excited, and the two of them raced into the mansion, Sky pulling up her dress a little so she could take the steps two at a time. Unzip me, she cried. Alex fumbled with the zipper and zanked it down her back while running. Meet back on the balcony, he shouted, and they split at the top of the stairs and went down their respective hallways, stripping the formal clothes off as they flew into their rooms. Alex tossed his robe, jacket, tie, and mask on the bed, kicked his shoes at the wall, and slid into his normal day clothing. 
He fumbled with the sandals for several agonizing seconds, and then decided he'd just go barefoot. He whirled the robe over his shoulders once again, patting the inner pockets to make sure they were full, shuffled around trying to find a component that would shed light, and then raced to his door to fling it open. What he saw on the other side of the door stopped him cold. Seventy. A visitor. What? How the- Alex exploded. How did you get in here? Without a second thought, the high priest Aaron Stowe threw a punch, hitting his brother square in the jaw. Alex reeled back into his room and caught himself on the bed, then scrambled back and charged at Aaron, slamming into him and knocking him flat into the hallway. The two scrambled on the floor until Alex gained the upper hand, thanks to his recent strenuous workouts, and pinned Aaron to the floor. What in the world is wrong with you? Alex shouted, breathing hard. Aaron, who looked like he was in a state of shock, whispered, Don't hit me. Alex stared at his brother through narrowed eyes. Why not? I should kill you. I didn't mean to punch you, Aaron said, regaining his composure. It was a reaction. You practically exploded out of there. I wasn't expecting it. Alex's mouth hung open. Why don't you just tell me what you were expecting? Aaron struggled. Will you let me up? No! All right, Aaron said, his voice straining to remain calm. How did you get in here? Don't make me ask you again, Alex warned. I could kill you approximately 150 times with a flick of my finger if I wanted to. It was a lie, but it was a good one. Aaron tried to melt into the floor. His breathing grew ragged. I came through the glass thing from Haluki's house. Alex's expression didn't change, but inside he was kicking himself. He meant to do something about that after he rescued this morning, knowing that the guards had probably figured out what the tube did. But there had been so much happening back then that it had slipped from the bottom of his list of things to do. And after his injury, the entire list had all but disappeared. Well, what do you want? Last time I tried to get you to come in here, you didn't want to have anything to do with it. So get out. Here, I'll help you. He let Aaron up, not letting go of his brother's shirt, and shoved him toward the kitchenette's tube. Aaron stumbled, throwing his arms out to catch himself. Alex, I came here because I saw something, and this was the quickest way. There was an explosion in the sky over this direction, and I... I just know it's got to be one of the enemies attacking us. His face was rather pale. Alex was starting to believe Aaron really was scared, and he wasn't sure what to make of it. He glanced down the hallway to the balcony where Sky paced anxiously. How could you see anything at all from Quill? Oh, wait, Alex said, remembering something he'd seen when he slung over the pirate ship railing on the way home from Warbler. You made a hole in the wall, didn't you? Aaron's eyes widened. Yes, how did you know? Alex nodded secretively. I have my ways. It felt good to have the upper hand for once. He glanced at Skye again. He hesitated, debating about what he should do with Aaron. If he forced him back into the tube, Aaron could just come back later, and then he would wreck a lot of Hakovic and Alex's new office, which didn't have a lock on the door. Plus, there were the monitors. He let a frustrated sigh escape, and then he flashed. He shackled Aaron's wrist with a spell and grabbed his arm. Fine, he said. Sit here in the hallway until I come back. I'll destroy that tube later. He reached for the door to his private quarters and pulled it closed, putting its magical lock in place. And then he went down to the office store, closed it, and pretended to lock it, so Aaron wouldn't even try to get in. Aaron, who had followed Alex's gaze the second time he looked down the hallway, barely resisted the shackles and couldn't turn his head away. He frowned. "'Who is that?' he said in a quiet voice. Alex glanced at Aaron and turned to see what he was staring at. All he could see was Sky, and he wondered if there was some picture or artwork on this side of the opening, like there was a mirror on the other side, though he didn't know where they should be. He narrowed his eyes. "'What do you mean?' Aaron's Adam's apple bobbed. That girl, he said, on the balcony. 
Alex's heart jumped to his throat. You can see her? Seventy-one. Lights. Of course I can see her, Aaron said, snapping out of whatever trance he'd been in. She's standing right there. And she was the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen. Not that he spent a lot of time thinking about girls, with all that of takeovers and fall from grace and rise to power. But he turned his head a time or two, just like anyone might expect. Then he looked down at his hands and realized what Alex had done. You shackled me! How dare you! Did you forget who I am? Alex just stared at him with a look of horror on his face. Impossible, he thought. What? Aaron said. Describe her. Honestly, Alex, don't you think we should figure out this explosion thing? If the island is being attacked, maybe we ought to, you know, consider... His mouth went dry, hardly believing that he almost proposed working together. But right now, Aaron wasn't sure what kind of support he had, and he'd do anything to keep his place in the palace. Absolutely anything. Still, he juggled his arms impatiently. Take these things off my wrists. It was annoying. No, I changed my mind. You're coming with me. This is ridiculous. I let you walk unshackled and quill, Aaron said. That's because I'm not a stupid tyrant, you jerk. If I take these shackles off, I'm guessing there are at least a hundred people out there who would kill you as soon as they look at you. With the shackles and with me, you might live. Did you forget who I am? But Aaron wasn't listening. He was looking at the girl again. She looks emotional. He said the word with disdain, but it didn't change the way his stomach flipped. Come on, Alex said, tugging on his arm. She's anxious because I was supposed to meet her five minutes ago to see what the explosion was. Ah, so you heard it. Did you see the fire? Aaron's eyes shifted nervously as Alex dragged him toward the hallway. They reached the balcony and the girl's face changed from anxious to relieved to surprised when she saw the nearly identical image next to Alex. Her eyes flew to Alex's with a question, but all Aaron saw was the amazing color of her irises. He'd only seen color like that for the first time just recently, having watched with a bit of fear the sun disappear at night. He frowned, remembering the explosion again, which wasn't quite as frightening now as it had been when he watched it all alone at the edge of the sea. Sky, I'm sorry, Alex said, and he picked up his pace to jog down the stairs to keep up with the girl. I had an unexpected visitor. You say that with such pleasure, Aaron said. Ooh, sarcasm. You've allowed yourself to emote. What progress, Alex replied. Aaron watched the girl. I'm the high priest Aaron Stowe, he added, and then felt heat rising from his shirt collar. I know who you are, the perfectly named girl replied, not looking at him. Usually people bow, Aaron explained. Sure, she would be impressed. Don't get your hopes up, jerk face, Skye said. She ran ahead. Get seen, will you? Alex called after her. I'm already on it. Alex grinned. Aaron looked at Skye as they reached the bottom of the steps. What? What is that, jerk face? Is that good? Alex snorted. Yeah, Aaron, it's really good. I think that means she likes you. Seconds later, they pushed through the door to the lawn, where a bevy of unwanted were gathering with spell components drawn and fury in their eyes. Look who I found, Alex said. He spied Seen and shoved Aaron in his direction, knowing the rest of Artemis would pounce if Aaron tried to do anything. He ran after Sky and they mounted Simber's back. Simber took a few steps and leaped out over the water, reaching top speed so fast that Alex and Sky could barely hang on. Sorry about the delay, he called out to Simber. Aaron saw the explosion and got in through the tube. He rubbed his jaw where Aaron had punched him. That's troubling. I meant to do something about that tube. Skye's face was concerned. But how did you get him through the wall? Did you find a spell for that after all? No, Alex said. 
That's even more troubling. He can see through it. The opening, I mean. Simmer turned his head sharply. He can? Yes, I almost fell over. It's not good. Skye looked at Alex. What does it mean? Alex considered all the dreadful possibilities. It means he's a lot more powerful magically than we ever imagined. A swirl of fear drove through him. If he ever finds out... He shook his head and didn't finish. They reached the wreckage of whatever had exploded. Simba hovered above it. Alex's little spotlight spell component and pointed at the water. The light reflected on a clear panel like a window, which was held in place by a massive rounded white structure. It was a vessel, sort of, but it was obviously not seaworthy, at least not anymore. It had already begun to sink. What is it? Alex asked. Do you see anyone in there? How do we get inside? Simba stared down at the vessel, only the point of showing it above the water now. Two, maybe three humans, he said after a minute. I can't see very far with the sea bottom all stirred up, but they're all dead. Sky and Alex looked at each other in alarm. Simber sampled the air, his eyes closing halfway as he concentrated. Definitely three of them, he rose in height. I don't think this is a good time to go down there. There's nothing we can do. Let's wait until daylight. The statue looked back at Alex. But it's your call. Alex hesitated, thinking about going down in the dark water to see dead bodies. No, you're right. We'll send a team out in the morning. Simba marked the location mentally, then turned back toward Artime, and all three of them went silently as they landed. The people of Artemis gathered around. Seen and another man, whom Alex didn't know were standing on either side of Aaron, gripped his upper arms tightly. What is it? Seen asked, followed by the echoes from the crowd. We don't know exactly, Alex said. It's some kind of vessel with humans inside. It's sinking, and they're dead. Some of the unwanted gasped. Aaron looked relieved. But it came from the sky, Megan said. Alex shrugged. Maybe it's an air vessel, not a water vessel, he said, musing. Don't we have books about such things in the library? He looked at Lonnie and Mr. Appleblossom. I don't know. Lonnie's voice was a mystery. Mr. Appleblossom looked troubled, and not just because his party had been ruined. This thing has surely happened once before, he said. The craft had fans that kept it in the air, but by the time it washed upon the shore, no humans lived to tell about their scare. Miss Morning nodded. I remember that. Father kept the pieces he found, Alex. They're up in the museum. Alice remembered seeing something up there with a fan attached. But where did it come from? We don't know, Simber said. He bared his teeth at Aaron. Aaron narrowed his eyes and shifted uncomfortably. Well then, now that the intruders are dead and everything is fine, I find no reason to, uh, attack you. I'll just be going now, he said. Can someone uncuff my wrists? I'll show myself out. He flashed a patronizing smile as if he expected the unwanted to do what he asked. Everyone ignored him. The speculation began about the thing that had exploded in the air. Did it come from the stars? The moon? Please understand that things don't work that way, Mr. Appleblossom began, waving his hands and trying to raise his voice above the crowd. It flies from side to side, not up to down. He drew a finger across the sky. It uses wings like Simber, but no flap, and it isn't meant to crash to the sea or ground. He cringed at the imperfect rhyme. Sammy patted the man's shoulder sympathetically. Alex, Skye, Sammy, and Megan, and Lonnie gathered in a group to try and figure out what the thing could have come from. And then Lonnie blurted out, Sometimes don't you just wonder how we all got here? I mean our ancestors before Mr. Today and Justine started Quill. 
That left them all silent and thoughtful. Aaron stared at Lonnie. What do you mean, before them? Lonnie startled. Most of them had forgotten that he was still standing nearby, waiting to be let free. But Lonnie didn't have time to answer him. Not that she would have anyway, because Simba rose quickly and stared out over to the sea to the west. Alex followed his gaze, and then he sucked in a breath. Oh, crud, he said. He raced to Simba, made sure that he wasn't imagining things, and said quietly, Is that? Simba growled low and long. It is. Alex tried not to panic. He stood by Simba's side, collecting his wits and gathered courage through through mostly painful, deepless breaths. Florence moved over to them as well. Alex turned to face the partygoers, his face stricken as hundreds of tiny lights appeared, dotting the surface of the sea between Warbler and Artime. The time for merriment and discussion about flying objects was over. Everybody, Alex said in as calm a voice as he could muster. It appears we are under attack. I need you to go inside and get dressed for battle. The hundred or so unwanted that remained stood stunned, and then several of them gasped and jumped up, trying to see what was happening. The light slowly grew stronger. Alex called for attention once again, but the panic was palpable. Warriors, you'll find instructions on your blackboards in a few minutes. As soon as you have them, return to the lawn. Go quickly now. There was a split second's hesitation before the alarmed Artemian stampeded to the mansion door. Alex looked around anxious, scanning the crowd for his closest friends. And he saw Skye at a run, dragging Crow by the hand and rushing up to Sam and Lonnie. They're coming for us, Skye screamed. Lonnie, Sam, Crow, we have to go back with them or they'll attack Artemay. No, Alex shouted. No one is going back there. Artemay fights to protect its people. Skye's eyes blazed. I won't be responsible for anyone's death, she yelled back at him, her voice ragged. Crow started crying as people brushed past him. Sky, Alex said, but Lonnie caught Alex's eye. She grabbed Sky's arm and pulled her and Crow aside. Alex turned to Florence. Outwardly, he was calm and collected, but inwardly, he felt like he was bordering on hysterical. He pulled his little notebook from his pocket and stretched out their plan of defense, knowing that Artemis was the most prepared it had ever been, yet feeling like they were about to be overwhelmed. He focused, turning away from the flurry and chaos at the mansion door, while the high priest Aaron Stone, more afraid than the rest, Wretched his arms free of his guards and lost control of himself in the crowd, still shackled. He tripped up the stairs, and before anyone cared enough to stop him, he careened down the secret hallway and into the kitchenette, and stumbled into the tube. Faced with an array of buttons this time, Aaron panicked. Which one? He whispered like a man possessed. Which one? He hesitated, and then he slammed his shackled fists into all of them. No more than an instant later, the high priest of Quill faded away. And that concludes the reading of The Unwanted's Island of Fire, book three in the Unwanted series. I really hope you guys enjoyed it, and make sure to stick around for the next episode of Reading with Grace, where we'll begin book four of the Unwanted series, The Unwanted's Island of Legends. Bye!